Good evening. This is Peter Hammond in the studio for Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. And in the studio I have with us Colonel John Eidsmo, a professor in constitutional law and author and military chaplain from U.S. Air Force Retired, uh, joining us for the Biblical Worldview Summit. Welcome, Colonel Eidsmo. Well, it's such a joy to be with you, Dr. Hammond, to be with Frontline Fellowship and Salt and Light, and to be here in Cape Town. Now, Colonel Eidsmo, we've been dealing with the Biblical Worldview Seminar and the Worldviews and Conflicts, and it seems that you've got a unique um, insight coming from a law background and also being part of Judge Roy Moore's team because uh, we read recently that there was a controversy going on in Iowa, uh, the Iowa State Capitol. They had a statue on idol to Satan set up, and um, some individual took it upon himself to dismantle it, and he got charged for criminal misdemeanor, something along the criminal mischief. Now, it's not a national monument. It was some improvised idol somebody set up there. And uh, wasn't there some controversy against a monument to the Ten Commands that was set up in your state? There certainly was. We had a man who was elected to circuit judge position, Judge Roy Moore, in one of the counties in Alabama. And one of the things he did when he took office way back in the 1990s was to take a hand-carved version of the Ten Commandments and place them on the wall of his courtroom. And he was sued for this. And that case ended in a draw, really. The governor, who was very much on the side of Judge Moore, filed a lawsuit asking for a declaratory judgment. The court decided this was not a proper case because you didn't have parties at opposite sides. And so the result of the whole thing in that case was that Judge Moore was allowed to keep his Ten Commandments carving on his wall, but no clear precedent was set that would make it valid and legal to do that in the future. Well, the result of this was that people in Alabama rallied behind Judge Moore and prevailed upon him to run for Chief Justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. We elect our justices in Alabama, and he was elected by a very strong margin. And his campaign slogan was restoring the moral foundation of law. And so not long after he was elected, he placed a monument to the Ten Commandments. And it was a rock monument, not only with the Ten Commandments carved on it, but with excerpts from Thomas Aquinas and others concerning the moral foundation of law being biblical law. It's a that, beautiful monument. It, is a, it really was inspiring. It is an absolutely beautiful monument. But that monument was then placed in the rotunda or the center of the Alabama Judicial Building. Not too long after that came a lawsuit saying this was an establishment of religion in violation of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Trial took place in the federal district court before a liberal judge, and the judge ruled that Yes, this was a violation of the Establishment Clause because Judge Moore had placed it there as an acknowledgment of God. And essentially what the judge was saying in this case is that Justice Moore was allowed to acknowledge God in his private capacity, but not in his public capacity. Now, it's interesting, George Washington, who chaired the Constitutional Convention and was the president when the First Amendment was adopted, had said it is the duty of nations to acknowledge God. And 
Judge Thompson, in this case, said, no, nations can't do that. So the question is, who understood the Constitution better, George Washington or Judge Thompson? I kind of think that George Washington did. And who appointed Judge Thompson? I mean, is he a Clinton appointee or something? He's a federal judge. I'd have to go back to see when he was appointed. I'm thinking he was actually in office. In fact, I know he was in office before Clinton. My guess is he might have been a Carter appointee before that. Mm. He'd been in office long before Clinton came in. But he certainly doesn't know more about it than... He was a liberal. But George Washington would know more about the original intent. Absolutely. Well, this seems a bit disturbing. Do you think that a person can be charged for taking down a statue to Satan who has no protection in law? Considering Satanism includes violations mm-hmm. of law, Satanism itself is a, a basically a rejection of all morality and a rejection of mm-hmm. law itself, and often involves things like uh, murder, rape, incest, cruelty to animals, murder even in some cases. Absolutely. So why would mm-hmm. one want to have a statue to Satan anyway? But to think you can get charged for taking down a statue to Satan, but a the people were criticizing the man who took down that statue. But they're the same people, I think, who were applauding the dismantling of the Ten Commandments monument, which was done by the will of the people of Alabama anyway. In many cases, that would be correct. But let me bring in one thing else first. At the time, we had that battle in the federal district court concerning the Ten Commandments monument. One of the things we pointed out repeatedly And you can point something out in court documents, and it's up to a judge. They can ignore what you say. They don't have to refute what you say. But we pointed out repeatedly that in front of the federal building, which is just a few blocks away from the Alabama Judicial Building, in front of the federal building, erected at public expense, is a statue or a sculpture of the Greek god Themis. Themis, the Greek god of law and justice. Goodness me. That's erected at government expense. And so why it is that the federal building can have a statue of a pagan god. An idol. Exactly. But the people of Alabama cannot have a monument to the moral foundation of law, the Ten Commandments, was never explained. Again, we raised that point repeatedly. The judge simply ignored it. That is bizarre, especially as the Ten Commandments is not exactly sectarian. It is accepted mm-hmm. by Judaism, by Islam, by Christianity, all denominations, without any uh, distinction. There's no denomination that reject the Ten Commandments officially. Absolutely. So the Ten Commandments has been recognized by a chief justice and, for example, William Blackstone as the foundation of all law, and any law not in conformity to the Ten Commandments is no law at all. And Magna mm-hmm. Carta recognized the Ten Commandments as the foundation for law. King no, Alfred the Great the, Dooms, exactly. mm-hmm. also the... Um, the foundation of the common law of England, which is the foundation for all the statutes in England, is the Ten Commandments, which was quoted in verbatim by King Alfred and his dooms. So why would the Ten Commandments be seen as the establishment of a religion? It is foundational to many religions. Well, let me point something out here. That back at the time the Ten Commandments monument was dedicated there in the judicial building, I remember I was there at the time and I was asked a few questions by news media. One person actually asked me, how would a Jew feel to see those Ten Commandments? And my response was, why don't you ask Moses? Now, one thing you might remember here is that there are three ways of numbering the Ten Commandments, at least three ways. The Jews have one way of numbering them. Roman Catholics have another way. And Orthodox and most Protestants number them still a third way. And 
So one of the concerns that was raised is whichever numbering system you use, you are establishing one religion over others. That's one of the reasons why I suggested to Justice Moore at the time, and I've suggested to others that are placing Ten Commandments monuments, when you place the Ten Commandments monuments, don't number them, just list them. And let people put in their own numbering system. You go to Exodus 20 or you go to Deuteronomy where you see the Ten Commandments. And, of course, they're numbered by verses there, but you don't see them numbered 1 through 10 in any of those places. So just put them there and let people put their own numbering system in. Correct. That that makes sense. Uh, But uh, what did they do in the end? The federal judge in that case said that the Ten Commandments there were a establishment of religion in violation of the First Amendment and ordered Judge Moore to remove them. He refused to remove them, Good and time. so other justices in the court took matters into their own hands. They were supposedly conservative, but they were the type that, nevertheless, we can't disobey a federal judge. We have to work within the system. And so they took matters into their own hands, and they did remove the Ten Commandments monument. And because of Judge Moore's refusal to do so, he was removed as Chief Justice by the Judicial Inquiry Commission, which is an unelected body. And then a few years later... But but he was elected by a majority of the people of Alabama. He had been elected by the majority of the people of Alabama, and a few years later... He was prevailed upon to run for chief justice again. He did so, and he was elected again. This time, he refused what we believe was an illegal order by federal judges that he had to recognize same-sex marriage, and the issue really involved probate judges who, as far as their issuing of marriage licenses to gay couples and so on, Judge Moore issued an order to the probate judges saying, no, that is not what the law requires. What these federal judges are saying is invalid. As a result, he was removed by the Judicial Inquiry Commission again. So he has the distinction of being elected twice, removed twice, elected by the people twice, removed by unelected bureaucrats twice. It seems like the deep states trying to triumph over genuine representative government. It certainly does. In their view, they are upholding the rule of law. I think they're undermining the rule of law. Well, what do we say then also considering the um, charging of a man for and criticizing in the media of a man removing an idol to Satan while they're the same people who applauded the pulling down of national monuments such as monuments to Christopher Columbus and General Robert E. Lee and General Thomas Jackson and other great heroes of American history? Well, the monument we're talking about there is in the state of Iowa. That is up in the upper Midwest in Iowa. Mm. And the monument that had been placed there was to Bahomet, which was a Satan symbol going back to the days of the Crusades and shortly thereafter. But I won't go into all the background of that, but it was placed there by the Iowa Satanic Temple. I don't remember the exact name of the group. And... Anyway, their claim was that if you can have a nativity scene in a public place or other things that represent Christmas, you have to allow us to have our symbol as well. But do they always allow nativity scenes? I thought they frequently ban nativity scenes in public areas. The courts have gone back and forth in the United States on that issue. We had the Lynch versus Donnelly case in which the Supreme Court said that it was okay to have a nativity scene in a public place. A couple years later, we had the Allegheny case where the 
court said that no nativity scene has to cannot be there. In fact, in that same day, the Supreme Court, in one case, ruled that a Jewish menorah could be allowed in a public place, but a manger scene could not. The difference, though, the court said, was that the Jewish menorah was there with other symbols of the holiday season, whereas the manger scene in the other place was there alone, and so it constituted an establishment of religion. At, this, at that time, that was, oh, probably 1990s or 80s thereabouts, but at that time, the United States Supreme Court was considerably more liberal than it is today. I don't think you'd find the court issuing those same rulings today, but they've gone back and forth on nativity scenes, but essentially what the court seems to be saying on nativity scenes and a couple later Ten Commandments cases is that you can have them there so long as they don't appear to be the state specially endorsing religion. And when I say religion, meaning a specific religion, and the court still has not really recognized that No, the Ten Commandments are not unique to Christianity. They are originally from Judaism, and they are recognized by Christians and by certain other religions as well. In fact, even Islam will recognize the Ten Commandments. Well, when I went to the Court of Justice in London, I couldn't help but notice that there's a big statue to Moses holding Ten Commandments on one of the spires over the the courts in Britain, there in London. And then there's also... David holding the Psalms, and they've got the Lord Jesus depicted in the statue. So civil Ezra with reading the law. So the British High Court has no problem having these overt symbols of Christianity and Judaism with um, the law being lifted up and, and of course, the Sermon on the Mount of our Lord Jesus. And they see this. In fact, if you go into the House of Lords in the Palace of Westminster, they've on the wall... In the cabinet room for the House of Lords, they have got a massive wall painting, which is more like a, um, uh, a carpet, uh, what do we call it, uh, where it's actually, um, it's, it's not... It's tapestry? A tapestry, that's mm-hmm. great. It's a tapestry of Ezra reading the law, another one, or a tapestry of Moses coming down the mountain with the Ten Commands. Now, that's in the Palace of Westminster, the, the um, British Parliament, Mm-hmm. in the House of Lords upper house. That would be like the Senate in America. Mm-hmm. Pretty blatant. Don't you have depictions in your uh, House of Congress of the Ten Commandments and of Moses? Right within the House of Congress itself, not that I recall, but in the chambers leading up to it, there are certainly the Ten Commandments, as well as the baptism of Pocahontas, the pilgrims drafting the Mayflower Compact, other such things. But in the United States Supreme Court building, on the outside, there is a, the term might be Ba's relief, but of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. Yes, I've seen And on that. one side of him is Confucius, representing Eastern law. On the other side is Solon, the Greek, representing Western law. Both of them looking toward Moses and smaller standing than Moses is while seated, representing Moses as the center going out both directions. And if you go to the Supreme Court chamber, you will find that the Ten Commandments are on the door, they're on the wall way above, and so on. And it's interesting the way that the court has tried to change its perception, but years ago when the Supreme Court building was erected, docents would explain that those are the Ten Commandments and that is Moses. 
Now, docents that give you tours of the Supreme Court building will just say, it's an ancient lawgiver. Yeah. Well, I suppose Moses is an ancient lawgiver, but that's not being very honest if you actually know his name. It shows a retreat from what the message really is. So the same Supreme Court that said you couldn't have the Ten Commandments on the wall of a school in a classroom, they've got it in their Supreme Court. Yes, that, so that seem... was 1980, Stone versus Graham. That was a 5-4 decision. And that seems probably the most radical religion decision the court ever made. I'm, I can say almost with assurance that the Supreme Court today would not take that same position. Donald yes. Trump deserves a lot of the credit for that, for three justices that he placed mm. on the court, but others have placed more conservative justices on the court too. Court has moved away from that position. In fact, we had a case... Oh, maybe 2018 or thereabouts, American Legion versus American Humanist Association. It involved a 32-foot cross, the Bladensburg Cross it is called, that was placed on an intersection in Bladensburg, Maryland, back in 1920 to commemorate mm -hmm. American soldiers from that area who had died in World War I. And the cross had been maintained by the American Legion, although it was on public property. And then the American Human Association filed a lawsuit to have the cross removed, saying it was an establishment of religion. And they won in a couple of the lower courts, but it went to the U.S. Supreme Court. We at the Foundation for Moral Law, where I serve as the senile, or senior counsel, filed a amicus brief in support of the American Legion in that case. By the way, I'm also a past commander of the American Legion. But anyway, so... We argued a couple of things. First of all, we argued that there is a tradition in America of erecting crosses in public places going way back to when the Jamestown settlers came, and they erected a cross there in the island when they arrived at Jamestown, Virginia. 1607. 1607, exactly. And before that, Columbus, when he landed at that island that he named San Salvador, or Holy Savior. 1492. But anyway, he planted a cross there, and... You can find many examples of that throughout American history. We also noted that the cross has a special identification with the military. You go to military cemeteries and you see the crosses there. Also, next to the Congressional Medal of Honor, the Distinguished Service Cross, or its equivalent, the Navy Cross or the Air Force Cross, that is the highest medal that the military awards. Yes, but anyway, and we can think so, of the Victoria Cross and even mm -hmm. South Africa. We've got the first Portuguese settlers coming up. Bartholomew Diaz planted crosses in South Africa too. So we can see it goes back right to the beginning of our nation's founding as well. Most interesting, and that's very true. But anyway, so the Supreme Court in what was a 6-3 to three decision ruled that the Bladensburg Cross was not an establishment of religion and could remain. I... Didn't say this in our legal brief, but I was tempted to say it, is that the American Human Association, what they really wanted to do was they wanted to take down the cross and they wanted to replace it with a 30-foot statue of Count Dracula. Because really? like Count Dracula, the American Humanist Association recoils at the side of the cross. That, that, was, that was a joke. I didn't, yes, no, I didn't but, say that, but... But, I didn't say that in the brief. I, mean, I did here, say it in public interviews. <laughs> but here we've got these people really acting like they are paranoid about the cross. It's like Christophobia. Exactly. They uh -huh. speak about homophobia, but there's more Christophobia out here as far as I can see. So, Colonel Eidsmo, it looks to us like there's a real campaign going on from humanist sides of not just people being atheist, but being anti-theist, anti-Christian, not just anti-Christian, but anti-any theism, any acknowledgement of God.
And that's where the statue you're talking about there in Iowa comes in, the statue of Bahamut, and which represents the Satan symbol. Now, the Satanist groups in America, most of them, or at least many of them, will say they don't even believe in Satan. They just present it as a symbol of anti-religion. And what does the First Amendment protect? In the United States, we have the First Amendment, which, of course, that makes America slightly different from England. But yes. in America, we have this amendment that says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Notice it doesn't say the words separation of church and state. No, that I think is in the Soviet Union's constitution. I believe that you're correct on that. But understanding that, I'd have to add that <coughs> properly understood, separation of church and state is a valid concept. I don't want the government, I don't want Joe Biden running the church. No, and we don't want the states interfering in the church, and we don't want the church actually interfering in the states, although exactly. the church is a minister of God for grace, and the state is a minister of God for justice. So the state has the sword, and the church has the keys to the kingdom. But we're both ministers, we're both deacons of God, and so there should be mutual support. The state should protect the church, the church should be a conscience to the state and speak to the state and advise. Absolutely. But fact, we should Luther, not interfere. Luther talked about these two kingdoms, church and state. Mm. And as Luther puts it there, that each has a distinct role to play and each must be sharply distinguished and permitted to remain. The church plays the role of preaching the word of God, and that means not only leading to the salvation of souls, but also training people in good citizenship. The state provides protection. And so if the state is doing its job right, it's going to be easier for the church to do its job. If the church is training good citizens, it's going to make it easier for the state to do its job. And so they complement each other. In fact, when we were at Wittenberg in 2017, we saw this in stark relief because there was the Rathaus, the town hall, and on top of the arch is... Lady Justice holding a sword and the scales of justice. But in front of that, directly in front of the city hall, is a monument to Martin Luther holding an open Bible. And so plainly it showed there's a distinction, but they are mutually supportive. Yes, in fact, I would go back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, it looks to me like the first society in all history to practice separation of church and state in the proper sense of the word was Old Testament Israel. Mm. Look, you have the kings, the civil authority, coming out of the tribe of Judah. You have the priests, the religious authority, coming out of the tribe of Levi. Separate offices, separate functions, but both are established by God. Both are kingdoms established by him, and both are subject to his law. Yes, and there was serious punishment for kings who dared to offer sacrifices and do the job of a priest. Exactly. And likewise... Punishment on Saul, well, that's Saul, but also Uzziah. You know, when Uzziah comes and offers sacrifices in the Holy of Holies there in the temple, and he is smitten with leprosy, mm -hmm. I suspect from then on, every time Uzziah stuck out his hand and saw the leprosy, he was reminded, keep your hands off the church, using the term church in a very loose sense yeah, for an the, Old Testament the ecclesia, way. The called out, yes, indeed. So there is a war against monuments around the world right now, and we see many monuments being pulled down. In America, monuments to highly respected, if not revered people, such as General Robert E. Lee, who has been highly respected, it's his monuments in Richmond and in New Orleans pulled down, and many other monuments pulled down in the States by the same people who 
seem to be offended by a monument to Satan being pulled down, even though that's not a national monument. So um, how would you see that we should respond to this sort of hypocrisy or double standards? I was in Ukraine back in 19, not 19, 2015, lecturing on constitution reform. And anyway, shortly after I had been there, the Russians invaded. And so the things we were trying to do there were put on hold and they are still on hold. But while I was there, my hosts took me through one of the parks there in the city of Kiev. And there I saw large busts, huge, more than life-size busts of Lenin and Stalin. And I bristled at that. And my hosts did too. And they said, those need to be removed. Well, I kind of thought so too at the time. I've thought about it more. And I'm thinking, no, they need to remain because they're part of history to remind people of what that history was. And I like the words of George Orwell in 1984 when he has the Ministry of Truth, which comes out of the different proclamation every other week, it seems. And when the Ministry of Truth makes the statement in this dystopian society that he who controls the past controls the future. Yes. And who controls the present, controls the past. If we can rewrite the past, then, in effect, we can control the present and we can create a new future. Karl Marx said the first battlefield is a rewriting of history. So it seems to me that what we're seeing in the cancel culture movement of trying to pull down Christian monuments, rename streets, rename towns and things like that, is actually communism in the sense that they're trying to destroy Christian civilization and that cancel culture is just another manifestation of the communist revolutionary mentality that we have seen since the time of the French Revolution. I wrote a book some time ago called Christianity and the Constitution. That was in 1987, right at the time of the 200th anniversary of the Constitution, because I'd been hearing people say that the founders of the American Constitution were all deists and skeptics, not Christians, that I'd been taught they were when I was a child. In preparation for that book, I read about 50,000 pages of the Founding Fathers' own writings. And I'd like to think I demonstrated in that book quite clearly that the vast majority of them, not all, but the vast majority, were strong professing Christians and actively affiliated with Christian churches. But if you wanted to create a new secular society, a new, a new world order and so on, if you wanted to move America into that new socialist mentality and so on, then you're going to have to convince people that their Christian founders were wrong and we need to change all that. However, if you can convince them that the founders weren't really Christians at all anyway, that makes the job of rewriting history all that much easier. And that's what they're trying to do. And I'd like to think that I've demonstrated from the founders' own writings that that is false, mm -hmm. that the majority were Christian. That's what's, I think, really behind the tearing down of monuments, the renaming of streets and the like. It's to make people ignorant of the good things of America's past. There's one thing else that I add, too, and that's that no nation can long survive if it teaches the children to hate their ancestors and to be ashamed of their heritage. And that's exactly what is going on in America today. And in parts of South Africa, too, where they're trying to destroy our heritage and history, too, which, of course, is mm -hmm. suicidal. It's like cutting yourself off mm -hmm. from your roots and... Like you cut a flower off from its roots, it might last for a few days in a vase, but it's not going to last long term. It's cut off from the source of its sustenance. 
Another point I'd make here is you're getting back to the statue of Behomet that you have there in the Iowa Capitol. And when you look to the First Amendment, and it says no establishment of religion and protection of free exercise, what religions does that apply to? Well, Justice Joseph Story, who was a Harvard Law professor and one of the early justices of the Supreme Court, in 1833, he released a multi-volume work titled Commentaries on the Constitution of the United States, which is considered to be the leading commentary on the Constitution from the 1800s. Story says, even though he himself was a Unitarian, that the intent of the framers when they drafted the First Amendment was to protect the various denominations of Christianity so that no one would become the official denomination of the United States. Yes, they were thinking that... Baptist, Methodist, Quakers, Episcopalians should all be allowed to operate. They weren't thinking um, Islam, Buddhism, or anything like that. That couldn't have been even on their radar. I think there's a lot of statements from some of the founding fathers, including George Washington, about full protection for the Jews and so on, that they were welcome in America. So did it go so far as to protect Judaism, whether to protect Islam and other religions like that. Well, that's open to some question. In fact, I might even say that Maybe Thomas Jefferson's view on that might have been different from that of John Jay and some of the others. But as to Satanism, Satanism, I would argue, is not religion. It is anti-religion. Yes. And the real purpose of those who have been placing that Satanic monument there in the Iowa Capitol, and it's happened in other parts of the United States too, their real goal is not that they want a statue of Satan up there. What they really are trying to do is have Christians say, well, if we've got to allow that, then it's we, better just, we better just get rid of all religious symbols. Yes. And if you've accepted that, then you have fallen for the satanic line there, hook, line, and sinker. Well, I wonder if the pushing for homosexual marriages and homosexual rights and everything also has the goal to abolish all marriage in total. Do you think there could be an analogy there too? Because it makes it's hard for me to believe that the average homosexual or LGBTQ transgender and so on really wants their version of marriage, which in some cases lasts for a few weeks or a few months. Uh, they're not thinking the same long, lifelong. Very few of their relationships last long at all. In fact, they are normally very promiscuous. I'm wondering if the goal of pushing homosexual marriages, marriage rights, is a war against marriage in general to try and obliterate Christian marriage. I think it probably is, as well as the goal to try to eliminate single-sex bathrooms and so on, and showers and the like. Part of it, one of the reasons why we can maintain some degree of sexual purity is a natural sexual modesty that men and women, boys and girls have. And if you can break that down, then that really breaks down all sexual morality. So yes, I think that certainly is part of it. Yes, so we have run out of time, I'm afraid, uh, but uh, any last words how people can get in touch with you, uh, please? Can I'd I urge them to look to our foundation. It's titled The Foundation for Moral Law. And if you just Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever search engine you like, the words morallaw.org or anything close to that will come up. Thank you so much. God bless and good night.